0: All right Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Old Testament book of Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah 8 verse 1 and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street before the water gate And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel and Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law and Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, and Shema, and Ananiah, and Urijah and Hilkiah, and Messiah, on his right hand, and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael, and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshul. I'm not sure what the importance of uh, all those names are, but the Lord put them in there, and this is his word. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and when he opened it all the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord the great God and all the people answered amen amen with lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground also Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah Jamin Aqab Shabbatai, Hodijah, Messiah, Kaliah, Azariah, Josabad, Haman, Kaliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. This is something that the Lord is so excited about that he remembers everybody that was there and gives their names. If you pastor a small church let me tell you what you've done before. You have been excited when your crowd was there and you were thinking about it so much you sat down there and wrote a list of everybody that was there and added up, wow we had 35 today and all that sort of thing you have done it, let me tell you about the Lord when there's a worship service going on where his word is exalted (laughs) and he's being praised he's excited about it and he remembers who is there Amen. and he's disappointed and notices who is not there verse 8 so they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading and Nehemiah which is the Tersheth and Ezra the priest the scribe and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people this day is holy unto the Lord your God mourn not nor weep for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law I was teaching the young people out of Proverbs today talking about truth and mercy truth and mercy Notice when the people heard the word of the Lord, they got weeping. And he said, wait a minute, this is a holy day, don't mourn." Let me tell you something that you need to be balanced in. Mercy and truth. Amen. You get reading the word of God and you really apply it, and you get in fellowship with the Lord and see how holy he is and compare how sinful you are, let me tell you what the temptation will be to just beat yourself up all day long. You'll say, man, I don't live up to that. I had a bad thought. I said some bad words. I did some bad things. And then I did it again the next day, and again the next day, and again the next day. And next thing you know, you will have no joy in your Christian life at all. And I don't think I need to tell you the next step of that. The next step of that is you get judging other people and noticing how they don't live up to the Word of God. So number one, you hate yourself because you don't. Number two, you can't stand everybody else because they don't. And that's a pretty miserable Christian life. And usually when we talk about Christians being too judgmental, we're talking about them judging everybody else. Let me tell you where that starts, judging ourselves. Now, I'm not trying to get you to compromise and deny how badly you fall short of God's law. You do. I do. We all do but I do want you to have mercy on yourself, not because I just love everybody and want you to all feel good. For this reason, our example is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what he did? Have mercy on us. So if he's my example, and he had mercy, I can have mercy, starting with myself. But secondly, on others. That's how you can hear the word of God and still mourn not because this is a holy day and the lord wants you to rejoice you know what the apostle paul said? rejoice and again i say rejoice you know what he says in philippians over and over and over again joy rejoicing and that's in spite of the fact that he used to be a terrorist i'm pretty sure nobody here did the bad stuff that paul Paul did when he (coughs) was hailing men and women and putting them into prison just being faithful to the Lord. I'm pretty sure nobody here did that. And yet he quit beating himself up about it and said forgetting those things which are behind I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Stop beating yourself up and stop beating everybody else up. Still hold to the truth. Don't misunderstand. Don't give in. Don't compromise on the truth. But have that truth and still have mercy. That's part of what he's bringing out here when he says that not more uh, verse 10 then he said unto them go your way eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto our Lord neither be ye sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength he said you go ahead and eat a good meal and you help everybody else eat good meal you say I don't deserve it eat it anyway <laughs> you say they don't deserve it give it to them anyway I'm sure glad I didn't only get stuff given to me that was deserved, that I've deserved. I am sure glad of that. Once in a while I think back of my young struggling days and think about how people helped me. And I think every single one of us would have to get a similar testimony. All right, so I want to preach this morning. Oh, I didn't even get all the way down through verse 12. Verse 11, So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. So I want to preach this morning the first modern worship service. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you speak to us from the truth of your word, and I pray you help us to understand these things. And I pray, dear God, that we would learn the final lesson of it that we just covered. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to say this morning that the most important elements of a modern worship service are found here in this ancient example of it. Now, you know your Old Testament, you Bible believers, and the previous book is the book of Ezra, and describes the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem after Cyrus set free the captives of Babylon. And, you know, we probably don't give this period of history the attention that it deserves. It is remarkable what happened. What would you think if the U.S. federal government suddenly said, all right, we're going to fund the Bible-believing Baptists and help them get the gospel across the world in every which way we can. And lo and behold, this government, and don't get me wrong, I'm a a Bible-believing Baptist, I believe in us being separate and not relying on the government, but as much as I believe that, here we have a place in history where the government supported the Jews going back to the land. Can you believe such a thing? They paid their way. What an interesting period of history it is. But the book which contains our text describes the rebuilding of the walls around the city of Jerusalem where that uh, temple was. And it's also uh, largely funded by that government. What a strange thing. Let me tell you something when the Lord decides to do something he can just do it and it really not even make any sense to you. And the only thing you can say is thank you Lord you just stepped in and did something that I sure couldn't do. How many times in our lives has something happened that we never expected to happen? Amen. I had one of those just this week. But the return and rebuilding after 70 years of captivity caused some serious gratefulness by these Jews who held a worship service in honor of the occasion. The preacher was ezra a priest and uh unable to serve in the, in the ways that they had in the old days he just studied the law probably wrote chronicles psalm 119 organized the synagogue and arranged psalms and helped settle the old testament canon listen even if things fall apart from the way you're used to seeing them still stay busy for the lord and watch him bless it uh the old uh, Evangelist Robert Shifty, that Bob Jones made that famous movie about Shifty. And by the way, if you haven't seen that, you should watch that movie, Shifty. Boy, that one bless your heart. But he was so used to things being done in those camp meetings that, that he just got in his mind that that's the way the Lord had to do it. And so the Lord just sent some sorry guys come in there and burn the camp place down. <laughs> and he had to submit to that and realize, you know what, the Lord can still serve. When I was coming up in the '70s, and the fundamentalist movements are strong, and there were Bible-believing Baptist fundamentalist churches that were some of the largest churches in many of our major cities across this country, I got in my mind that's the way God works. And I spent the a little bit of the '80s, but definitely the '90s and early 2000s, trying my best to get us back to the '70s <laughs> fundamentalism. Give it up, man. <laughs> Those days are gone. Yeah, let, me, let me tell you this: God is not. He's Never still working. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to do everything exactly the way the previous generation did. And you, young preacher boys here, 20 years from now, you ain't going to be able to do it exactly the way the Bible believers that you're listening to now. But, but let me tell you this: there will be some principles of it that will stay, stay, yeah. stay the same. This Bible it stays the same. Hey, the relationship man. with God stays the same. Preaching the gospel stays the same. Now there may be different ways in which you're doing it. I mean sometimes it's in jail. Sometimes it's in nursing homes. Sometimes it's in rescue missions. Sometimes it's on street corners. Sometimes it's in churches. I I can't tell you all the different ways and places that it might be. But I can tell you this. There will be ways to serve the Lord. What if Ezra would have said, well, I mean, my job's a priest. I minister in the temple. Temple's gone. So I guess I just can't do anything. Oh, yes, you can. And he did he stayed busy. Studied the law, probably wrote Chronicles in Psalm 119, and organized the synagogue and arranged the Psalms and helped sell the Old Testament canon. You stay busy for God with what you can do, even if it is different than what you were used to. So let's look at this, uh let's look at this ancient worship service that has the important precursors to the modern worship service. Number one, notice the book. There's one reason we're here, it's the book it's not because we all love football together or we all love hunting together or we all love shopping together or we all love eating together although you're getting warm <laughs> uh, it, the reason we're here is because of the book we're here because we love the King James Bible and we fellowship around that that is, our, that is our common rallying cry the book of the law and lo and behold verse 1 the book of the law and verse 2 the law in verse 3 he read therein and the people were attentive under the book of the law and the book the book the book the book the book you know why I love the Bible believing Baptists because they love the book you know why I study Baptist history because they live the book you know why I teach and preach the Word of God because I love the book you know why I sometimes preach on street corners because I love the book you know why I try to get it out on line and radio and any other way I can because I think the book is the answer amen I think all the answers are found in this book the book first thing I want to say about it is it's a divine book it is authored by God I didn't write any of this I don't know how many times in my life I have quoted a verse of scripture and somebody said well that's just your interpretation that's just your belief that's what you think Uh I didn't write a bit as a matter of fact (laughs) There's parts of it I disagree with, and me knowing it's right. <laughs> you know why? Because there's still flesh in old Bob Schoolfield. <laughs> and there's still parts of old Bob Schofield's flesh that doesn't want to go along with this book. And so even though I read it, know it's from God, know he's right and I'm wrong, I still go, well, I don't think that's true. <laughs> Just that's the flesh in me. Now there's another part in me that says, you know, good well, that's right, Bob. <laughs> You ever get into some arguments with yourself oh yeah, boy the divine book it's authored by god it shows his will it shows his work it shows his plan you know what the problem is once in a while we get looking at our will and our work and our plan and many a time i've argued with the lord and i've told him how my will would work better <laughs> and my plan would work better and if you would just do this for me, especially right now, <laughs> oh, man, it'd work out. Let me tell you something. His power will make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love will fill your soul and you will see what's best for him to have his way with thee. Amen. That's good. But for a minute, my own flesh is like anybody else's. I want my way. And I get a little aggravated at him for not doing it. Because <laughs> he could. He knows best. Submit yourself to this book. It's right. You know why we don't allow this book to be corrected? Because we think it's right. This is what we rally around. If we're mean and dirty about it, if somebody disagrees with us, we don't say, You Bible-rejecting fool! But I tell you what we do: we say, Guys, your book is right. And we get all the places in the Bible and Examples of history and everything to prove. I don't seriously. I, I I joked a minute ago about my flesh and my anger going against God, but I know in my heart there's not a thing wrong with this book. Hey. The wrong part of me. Oh yeah. The divine book. Alright, second, secondly, it's an ancient book. This is not new stuff. You don't need to watch a YouTube video or a TikTok video or whatever the latest theory is and read the latest book to figure out this truth. You get this ancient book and it's got the answer for you and it always has. You don't need a new book. You need a new look at the old book, We used to say when I was a boy growing up. It's an ancient book. It begins at the time of Job and it goes all the way back to describing creation. God put all the answers in here a long, long time ago. Tell you something else about it. It is a wonderful book. There are certain books that have made such a difference in my life. that I read them. I marked them up, underlined, put some scripture references in the back. And they were so good and they turned on the light for me so well that I immediately went back at the beginning and read through it a second time. It helped me so much. But this Bible? Way ahead of that. I read it every day and soon as I finish Revelation, I immediately start back in Genesis and I've it over and over and over and over again my whole life. There's no other book I've done like that. There have been a few that were so eye-opening to me and so enlightening and hit a spot that I was so stupid in I was so dark <laughs> it shined a light there so well for me that even though it might not help all of you because you don't have the same weaknesses i have it was an eye-opener for me and i went right back a second time this book i can go through it if i was to live long enough to go through it 200 times <laughs> it would still be just to fact it's different it's wonderful it's way better than Number one, from what I already said, it has God as its author. <laughs> there are some great authors. There are some intelligent people. There are people with helpful insight. Not one of them anywhere close to God. Amen. If this book is written by God, it's the book. Yeah. Number two, absolute truth is it's content. Any human author has something he has wrong with. We just are not perfect. This book, not one error anywhere else. The truth is its content. Here's a great one. Salvation is described. If you found a book and it told you how to live forever, would that not be a valuable book? Man, here's one that does. Its subject is salvation. How to get saved and live forever. How to go to heaven for all of eternity instead of hell and the lake of fire for all of eternity. That's pretty valuable is it not? Yeah. Tell me a human book will give you that much benefit. Well, of course, there's not one. God is its author, truth is its content, salvation described. How about happiness coming from? It? I you know that I like to read the self-help literature. It's been a blessing and a help to me. And I tend to be very negative and very pessimistic in my outlook on life. And they, it has been a blessing to me. But you know what? Even many of the secular self-help authors say. They say the greatest self-help book in history is the Bible. Even some of the secular ones say that. (laughs) Even some that don't exactly believe like you and I believe, but they'll admit when when the Christian era started, everything changed in history. That's true. I know unsaved authors writing about ancient times, and they said it is a night and day difference in many ways. The way that uh, unfortunate people and women and everything was treated before Christ and after Christ. Not saying they did everything perfect after Christ. Far from it. But it was five or ten or a hundred steps better than the way they did before oh, Christ. They said the regard for human life has never, ever gone back to being the way it was. Overall, back in those ancient years. They said the Christian era, specifically I'm speaking with somebody who wrote a, a biography of a, Alexander the Great, he's not even a saved man from anything I read in there, and yet he said it was a big difference. He said the Christian era changed the regard for human life drastically, drastically. You want to find salvation and live forever? You want to find happiness? You want to find peace? Here's one. Pleasure? Is not everybody looking for pleasure? I know that that can easily get over into some sinful pleasure, but did you know not all pleasure is wrong? Amen. There are many pleasurable things that God gave us. God is the one who invented invented everything from uh, food to marital love to the blessings of children to the blessings of hard work and earning and saving up money. He gave us the, the blessings of sleep, the blessings of health, these are all very pleasurable things. And they're all straight from God. The book will tell you how to get the right kind of pleasure. In thy presence and its fullness of joy at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Amen. A wonderful book. i tell you something else though. It's an invaluable book. book. You couldn't put on this. Absolutely Why? not. When I study Baptist history and I study... Uh, William Tyndale and different ones who wanted to distribute the book you know what I read I read about people that gave their whole lives to this. there was no price on it whatsoever whatever it took they even gave their lives to this book. Mm-hmm. you know why you couldn't put a price on it I hope that none of us have to die for the book But that'd be about the best thing you could die for. Don't get me wrong. I love my family, and we should all love our families. And I hope that if the time comes, we're willing to sacrifice our lives for our families. That'd be a good thing. Some of us might have to sacrifice our lives for the freedoms that we enjoy here in the United States of America. That's an honorable thing. But I'll tell you one that surpasses all of them. To give your life and to spread the word of God. That'll do more for you than America's freedom will. Really. As great as it is, and by the way, I think a lot of it's based on, that'll do more for you than giving your life for your family. And don't get me wrong, family love comes from teaching in the Bible. But number one is the spreading of the Word of God. That's the highest, most honorable thing you could possibly give your whole life to, and there's no price to put on it. Yeah. I wonder what your reward must be in heaven when you give everything to the Word of God. Sometimes it's been scarce. And the word of God can be scarce in a strange way. Here in the United States of America, it's not exactly well known even today, and yet we live in a free country where you can go in any cheap dollar store and find you a Bible, can't you? Amen. In a sense, it's everywhere, but in a sense, nobody has it because they don't know it. My mentor, Dr. Ruckman, is well known for standing for the King James Bible. The Lord knows he changed some things in some ways that we can't even fully imagine how things changed after he showed up on the scene. But my best thing that I appreciate the most about Dr. Ruckman is not just that he fought for the King James Bible, King James Bible, King James Bible, although, praise the Lord, that was very much needed, and that's what he's known for, and thank God for that truth. But then, those of us that already believe, listen, my mom was raised in Mount Zion Baptist Church out here on this mountain, she already believed this King James Bible before she had any idea who Ruckman was. Hey, so I already did too. But guess what? I got reading and studying Dr. Ruckman. He not only told me about the King James Bible, he opened it up yeah. and taught it to me, taking just for what it said in the context, changing nothing. There are a lot of people that say they're King James Bible, they they never really opened it up and studied it and learned it. It's invaluable. The Word of God can be scarce. The Bible says he'll send a famine of the Word of God. He can can set that book in your lap, and you have a famine of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. If you don't read it, you don't understand it, these things are spiritually discerned. If you're carnally minded, you're not going to get it. You can read it all day long. Mm -hmm. It's an invaluable book. I'll tell you something else. It's an affecting book. It makes a change. Don't just know the Word of God in your brain, although you do need to know it there, but know it down in your heart where it actually affects how you feel and how you live and what you do. As I read this passage, it says the people stood up as soon as he started reading. It said the people said amen. It said they bowed their heads. It said they put their faces to the ground. And it said they were weeping till they had to tell them to stop. This Bible ought to have an effect on you. And there's something wrong if it does not. It shouldn't be just something you can answer back. Now, I, I love and appreciate these children memorizing these verses. But there have been other children memorizing memorized verses mm-hmm. and then went on to look however they wanted to. Do. Be sure you don't just memorize it in your brain and not have it affect your life. Be sure it actually affects how you live. You want to get these people affected them? If as soon as a book gets picked, how many books, as soon as somebody picks that book up, you stand up and right? The Bible's the only one. There's not another Bible in my life I've ever stood up for. Saying amen, bowing heads, faces to the ground, and weeping. Yeah, it should make a difference in you. All right, let's notice not only the book, let's notice the worship that went on while the book was being preached. All right, first of all, I noticed that it was adoring praise. Verse 6, it said, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They adored him. Psalm 100, they adore him. Psalm 147, they adore him. Psalm 148, they adore him. Psalm 149, they adore him. Psalm 150, they adore him. Go back and look over those psalms. They're short, don't even read them closely. Just briefly skim them. You know what you'll see? Praise the Lord. Praise him on the high-sounding cymbals. Praise him in song. Praise him in dance. Praise him, praise him. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. I mean, it is unreal. Amen. When you get worshiping the Lord and his book is lifting him up, you there ought to be something. It ought to make some change in you. There's something wrong when you can go in services and hear the word of God, sung and preached and talked about, And it never causes a tear to go down your cheek. It never makes an amen escape your lips. It never changes anything in your life. It never puts a knot in your throat, a lump in your throat, or a knot in your stomach. It has no effect on you. You're dead. The New Testament warns about getting to a place where your past feelings. If you're in a place where the singing of praises to God and the preaching of the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God and the example of the people that are trying to live according to the Word of God and that has no effect on you, they may as well close the casket, man. You're dead spiritually speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are a feel something. This worship was adoring praise. Now here's one I, I, I just I, I said this doesn't apply to Baptist at all agreement and unity <laughs> look at nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1 Amen. all the people gathered themselves together as one man now, i made a joke i'm a baptist you know i love the baptist but don't always concentrate on the things you disagree on no. we will all have a detail or two that we'll see differently Amen. and if that's what you focus on You'll never get along with anybody Mm -hmm. if you put a microscope or a magnifying glass on the godliest man or the godliest lady that has ever lived you'll find plenty wrong i don't mean one time they hammered their thumb and said don't i'm not talking about that i'm talking about some bad stuff Mm -hmm. i'm talking about some dirty black stuff let me tell you about us humans I wish the worst thing we'd ever done is said darn. <laughs> and if you sit and focus on that, there will never be one person you'll ever get along with. <laughs> now, don't deny that either. Don't go, to, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Don't forget that we're all humans. they're all sinners. But don't go to the other ditch and all of a sudden not be able to unify with anybody. Because we're all filled. How many confessions in the Word of God I teach that? Uh, agreement and unity. Nehemiah 8, they all gathered together as one man. Uh, verse 1, verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. <laughs> verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. All the people were in agreement to all this. Yeah, they had different ideas on what's the best health food and exactly how long the skirt should be and exactly this and exactly that and exactly what the kids can do and what they can't. There was a hundred little details that they disagreed on. But when the word of God was lifted up, they agreed, we need to respect that. Amen. And we need to worship this holy God. Let's see, verse 9. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershah, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites, that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, more not nor weep. For all the people wept. When you can get together and admit we're all sinners to the point that it breaks our heart and we all weep over it, you're weeping over a good thing. Even though the Lord said, okay, that's enough. Now stop. He doesn't rebuke them that they had some feeling about what they heard. They all agreed to that. Notice also they had a real humble invocation. They humbly called on God. It says they lifted up their hands. That is a great gesture. When I have been in real hard times and I needed to get a hold of God, I have found myself doing this. What a wonderful gesture that is. You know what that shows? My hands are empty Number one, I have no weapon here that I'm trying to fight you with, God. Number two, I have nothing to offer you either. <laughs> nothing in my hand I bring; simply to Thy cross I cling. I'll tell you another one it means. Pick me up, Daddy. <laughs> when my little kids was it dang, it thought they was in danger and they wanted help, you know what they did? They came up to me and went like this. <laughs> Pick me up, Daddy. This means no weapon, no offering, and pick me up, daddy. There is not a better father than God Almighty. Amen. Amen. When you need to get a hold of God, let me tell you what you do. Get on your knees to show your humility and lift up your hands to show your emptiness and call on God. I love that gesture. Does even the New Testament not say lifting up holy hands and those people, you know, were those people literally sinlessly righteous? Well, perfect. No. But let me tell you something. When you get in that place where you're needing God that bad, you have some holy hands. That's the holiest your hands have ever been. <laughs> when you have no weapon to fight against him, nothing to offer him, and you're just saying, pick me up, daddy. That's the holiest your hands will ever be. There is not one better thing to show your relationship and your dependence upon him than that wonderful gesture. But on top of that, they had bowed heads. They were not proud. They were not going, I thank thee, God, that I am not his other men, even as this publican. No. They were smiting upon, that, that, that's a, a gesture that means something similar to when he was smiting on his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Remember truth, yes, but you better mix some mercy with it. And it needs to start with you. As long as you're beating yourself up for your failures, you'll be going around in a bad mood looking to beat everybody else up for their failures. And we all got plenty. If you're looking for a reason to beat me up this morning, much more peaceful to rejoice? Humble invocation. Here's another good one. Attention. Look at verse 3. He read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. <laughs> now that's kind of what we do, is it not? Don't we start our service about eleven o'clock that morning and stop at 12 o'clock in that about midday? We kind of do that. But I'm pretty sure it went longer than an hour. But it says that the last phrase there, in the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Boy, if you can get the quick video generation to sit and listen for a solid hour, you're doing good. <laughs> and if you can get them listen for two, you're really doing something. And yet I read these missionary letters and I'll read about uh, the services that will have that'll go for hours, plural. I guess they don't watch as much TikTok over there or something. <laughs> Something's going wrong. I had a two-hour service, my goodness. It's all anybody can do. Sit through Sunday school and church here in America with a 10-minute break in between. (laughs) Attention. They have paid attention all morning till midday. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say this. Sincerity. Make sure your worship has praise and agreement and unity and humble humility before God and attention to God. But be sure it's sincere. There are a lot of Bible believers in the Bible Belt that are not very sincere in their worship. They put on the face, they put on the show, they did the service, pay their dues or whatever it is they're trying to do, and it didn't real. You know how I knew Amen. it was real for these people? Because the affected hell. had. Because the heart that was broken and the tears that were shed and the gestures that were made. They felt so then i tell you a good prayer before you come into church or go to a special meeting where the Word of God is preached. Pray, God, help me feel something. I often pray, God, help me learn something, and that's good. But I wonder sometimes if in our day we don't need to be praying as much or more. Help me feel something. That's a good point. I'm not, when I'm preaching to Bible believers, I'm not preaching to some people that don't know things. But oftentimes I'm preaching to some people that don't feel anything and aren't doing anything about it sincerity because of all the above four items the people were sincere they were into it all right now let's look at the sermon we've looked at the book we've looked at the worship now let's look at the sermon look at this I'm done. it's the last one the first thing I'll say is it's an expository sermon he uh, read in the book of the law of God distinctly just just that just reading the Bible can change But he read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading frequent places that read the Bible and make you understand it. That's the pattern that's given us back in Nehemiah 8.8 and that's a great pattern for today. Now, it might be in a camp meeting. It might be in a jail. It might be in a nursing home or a rescue mission or on a street corner. I don't know where all it could be, and it might be different than the way it was 20 years ago, and it might be different 20 years from now, but it'll have that element in it if it's blessed by God. It'll have the Word of God somehow, some way being read and commented on in a way where you can understand it. Reading the Bible. Explaining or expounding the Bible. You know how I know how he did it uh, contextually and expository Because he was reading in the book. So you couldn't help but get the context as he read. Um, it was also, though, is not harmful in any way to read it in light of other passages. You should read it in the context it's in, and one part of helping to keep it in its context is to notice where that's different than in another context that'll really help you comparing and contrasting very important things in your Bible reading and understanding and then he says and cause them to understand the reading William Tyndale that great hero Bible translator translating the Bible into English and the vast majority of the King James Bible almost word-for-word much of Tyndale. You know what he said? He said it was his job to make sure the plowboy understood the scriptures better than the priest did. That's what he said. One time I was at Bob Jones and they doing a Vespers service on the life of William Tyndale. And uh, they was up there, you know, I don't necessarily agree with all their textual positions and everything, but I'll give them this. They did a really good Vespers on William Tyndale. And after his death some of his friends were getting together and they were grieving and talking about how are we going to go on and losing William Tyndale who was so important in translating the scriptures and one of them stood up and said we'll have to and the first question he'll ask us when we get to heaven is does the plowboy understand the scriptures he had given his whole life for the plowboy to know the scriptures What a shame it'd be if they had to get up there and face him and say, well, no, you died and we just quit. (laughs) You make sure after those that have learned from you go on that they know to carry on your work. You know why I refer back to Baptist history? Because I think we're carrying on some of their work. Some of the last words of some of my Baptist heroes was leaving directions. How to carry on the Indian mission back here. Whatever work it was that they were in the middle of. Why? That was their lives! That's what they lived for. Making sure it's understood and learned. I'll tell you something else about the Word of God. It caused joy in the hearers. Verse twelve, and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. They made great mirth. They didn't. Well, they felt a little better. No, great mirth. They were rejoicing. They were excited. I like it when people get beside themselves with joy and let them shout. That's a blessing. This Bible ought to make you feel some real joy. Now I do believe in fasting. I do. I do believe in afflicting ourselves and praying sometimes but that shouldn't be the majority of the Christian life that should be occasionally as necessary as led by God there also ought to be times of great rejoicing and great feasting I made a joke yeah. with, I made a joke with Brother Kip as he was leaving he and I were texting back and forth with each other and some of the health stuff I've done to try to be a little more healthy is what they call intermittent fasting and I you know just Not eat for a while. And I made a joke with him that here lately I haven't been able to lose anything because instead I've been doing intermittent feasting. (laughs) Amen. I do believe in intermittent fasting and I also believe in intermittent feasting. The Lord wants you to do some of both. There ought to be times you afflict your soul and work on something and get a hold of God and show him you mean business that you won't take a bite of food and then there ought to be times he's blessed you and you feel like he wants you to rejoice and celebrate and have a bunch of food. In the Old Testament when he wanted his people to have joy he told them have a feast multiple times every year. That's a good thing. Problem is some people. Try to have a feast every day. All right, that is not intermittent feasting. (laughs) That is gluttony. (laughs) But it caused joy in the hearers. And then I want to say this: it affected some action. We'll close reading uh, verses 13 to 18. Here it says, and on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites and the Israelite scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast, there it is, of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mountain, fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made boots and sat under the booths, For since the days of Jeshua the son of Nun, unto that day, had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Now, they probably looked kind of silly to people that didn't understand what was going on. Now what are they doing? They went and had this meeting. They all got crying. And then they told them to all rejoice. And now they're them to all go get a bunch of brush and make these boots. And all get in there and sit under it. What are they doing? Here's what they're doing. They're obeying the Word of God. You know what will happen when you obey the Word of God? There will always be somebody to laugh and make fun of you. (laughs) Just get used to it. Get comfortable with it. And Daddy always told us, just laugh right along with them. (laughs) Don't even have a problem with it. Don't get mad and bitter against them. But you're laughing at me. Just laugh and be happy right along with These people were sitting under those boots and I'll guarantee you somebody was making fun of it. And it said yet that they had great gladness. Verse 18 says also day by day from the first day into the last he read in the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly. According to the manner you know what they did? They changed their lives. they went back to doing things better than they hadn't done since the days of Joshua. Now what are we seeing this morning? This great time of return and rebuilding stirred the hearts of God's people and they worshiped him and they rediscovered his law. God's Word was supreme the book the book the book as we talked about at first his worship was serious his people were made to understand and even today, you're not going to find a better model for a worship service than ancient Nehemiah chapter 8. God wants to worship him just this way. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to read and study your word and honor it. Lord, I pray we'd be